Welcome to my Big Safety Challenge, a podcast all about stories of safety leadership, presented by Dale Carnegie and the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. Hey, Tiffany, it's like Mr. Rogers used to say. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, it's isn't it? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And that's a great way to look at life and just live life in general. I think so, too. We should all be neighbors. Why not? Why can't, can't we just all get along with each other? All get along. All get along. Yes. And so that's really the great thing about doing these podcasts is we get a chance to talk to people kind of like they're our neighbor and all the folks that listen in get to listen in just like we're having a talk over the fence and just learning about each other and finding out about each other. And what have we got in store for us today? So here we have, we have Sim. Sim Carr is brought to us from Netflix. And Sim, we'd like to kind of jump in and find out what specifically you do in your role at Netflix. So tell us about your your job. Sure. Uh, currently, I'm a global EHS program manager. So I help drive the adoption and creation of programs uh, in different regions that we operate in all across the world. Um, a lot of what I do is making sure that our programs are aligned uh, globally, but also in line with our regional leads and what they want as well, which is always tricky to balance as there are varying needs. And it does take, a, you know, just effort and time to, to bring everyone together and um, come to conclusions on programs and drive things forward. So we have at least a standard way of operating uh, across our locations. Okay, great. So if we could kind of delve into what you do a little bit more, is that knowing what kind of organization Netflix is, are you focused more so on the production side of the organization or is some of your scope consist of um, employee and workplace safety? How is your time split within the organization as far as those different areas? So my role is focused on our corporate environment. Uh, We do a little bit in alignment with studio, and then we also um, make sure that we stay in touch with our production team so that there is some alignment between the different safety worlds within Netflix. But my primary responsibility is is corporate. So just standard office spaces, um, any sort of like warehousing or anything like that. Sam, it's, it's been our experience as we've got to talk to people that seems like most people have a point in their life where they decide that they want to make safety their career. I mean, not everybody, when they're a child in grade school and they get somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Not everybody says, oh, I want to be a safety professional. (laughs) So how about for you? How did you decide, when did the light bulb go on to say, I'd like to get into safety? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, For me, I I, um, realized that after I left pharmacy school after about two years, so right out of high school, um, you know, my family was very much like, yeah, go into the health field, pharmacy's great. They actually wanted me to be a doctor, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go pharmacy because I really love chemistry. So Mm -hmm. that was my track. And um, after spending some time working as a pharmacy technician, I found that it really wasn't a right fit for me. And so, Um, I decided not to pursue that anymore. And that left me with a bit of a void. And I was like, okay, well, what next? And I had a backup plan, you know, get my chemistry degree, go be a teacher. Mm. And I realized that something about that wasn't quite striking where I really felt truly rooted to. 
And um, what I found was that I actually had a strong passion for the environment. And that started actually early on from like middle school and high school. And through those years, um, I had a strong, you know, interest in learning about how, like specifically how corporations operate um, overseas, um, how a lot of our values or some of the advantages of moving overseas is that there isn't a stringent laws or regulations around environmental and health and safety in regards to to the environment and and its people. So um, for me, it was really important to have people not necessarily just because the law says that this is what you have to do, so you must do it. It was extremely important to me that we do what we have to do in our best regard to people and the planet. And that was something that I just felt extremely strong, like very strongly about. And I never really saw it as like a career field. I think even when I was growing, like in those years, it really wasn't like a huge industry um, until, you know, obviously I left and that would have been like, I guess like 10 years later, um, just looking at the different options and the school that I had gone to had a concentration in the EHS program. And I, that just fit really well. And it married the different facets that I was interested in, um, in terms of making sure like, you know, business, you know, is adhering to the responsibilities to both people and, and the planet. How challenging is it to guide people from just, well, we have to do it because it's the law to where they have a want to? How challenging is that? That's pretty challenging. I think, um, you know, as as I matured and I'm now older and quite passionate when I was younger, and I was like, yeah, people, people and planet, that's it. Um, but as I've grown up, it's also profit. There is profit in there. You know, business at the end of the day needs to survive in and of itself. Uh, so I think it's blending those three values together. And I think that, like, often they're decoupled so that we're just looking it's people planet or profit and i think you can get all three of them together if done right and that is challenging and that does take the work of people like us uh in the ehs world into sustainability world all of us are helpful with furthering those programs that make both business sense and have um, taken into account any impacts adverse impacts positive impacts to both people and the environment. And I'm just curious too, Sim, in your career and as you've progressed along, do you ever have a time where you just said, I was made to do this, this this is who I am. And you had that feeling that your, your efforts and your personality and who you were, all your training, everything like that, it was just coming together and you were like in your in your zone, in your element. Can you think of any time like that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that all the time. <laughs> I really, um, I, I feel like I really thought about my career early on and was really committed to making sure that for the next 40 years of my life, I am in something that mm. I feel intrinsically motivated by and making sure that, you know, all these different areas are uh, balanced within a business in terms of like, like I said, you know, people, planet, profit, those three areas, all multidisciplinary all really, even within themselves, if you break out each of those buckets, they have different needs within them. And, and 
we wear many hats as EHS professionals, and I think that makes it really interesting. I think that's that's part of what I love about the job is that there are so many different ways that we can go, um, so many different programs we can work on if we get a little bit bored of another one. It's like a little bit of productive procrastination, and you can always find something that kind of gets you going again. I think it's a great industry and a great field. That's great to hear, and it sounds like you're winning every single day. And Unfortunately, being a EHS professional but that's been in this, this career over 30 years, there are instances where some of us are not winning every day. So for some of the listeners who are not winning every day, what is one specific challenge that you have that you were not winning and you can recall that challenge in some detail and it doesn't necessarily have to be at Netflix. It can be somewhere else where you were able to turn it around. Uh, Merle and I were talking about college football. We love college football over here. So in our talks about college football, sometimes you're not winning, but you get an opportunity to really drive and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Next thing you know, you're in the end zone. But it was looking really bleak at first. So tell us a scenario where it was looking bleak, Sim, and you had to turn it around and it created an opportunity for you to run the ball to the end zone. Okay. Uh, so I think one one thing that comes to mind, and it's more general than a specific story, mm-hmm. is a lot of conversation around the probability of events. And this always comes up with, with EHS. And it's like, all right, well, how much time are we investing in certain programs? And what is the probably, probability and likelihood for this to actually occur? And that's a hard thing to answer. It's still something that I find challenging to answer because you don't always have all the metrics and data available to you because you really don't get good data until after like five years of reporting. And that's if it was really good quality data, depending on who set it up in the first place. And even still, that's not like not enough because things can occur at random. I mean, look at what's happening right now with just our, you know, global, you know, climate issues. Um, the probability of a hurricane striking uh, California was probably extremely low, but I'm sure once uh, they got wind of that, it was like, oh, well, we got to go dust off that hurricane plan that we probably haven't touched in many years because that's not really a huge or major threat known to the state. Uh, I think those are those um, challenging situations that come up for um, anyone in this field. Um, And in terms of getting it to the end zone, it's exactly that. It's like making sure that those plans are still available and are in place. And I think that's up to EHS because your leader, like if there's a leader from a different function of the business and they're like, we don't need that, that's not important. Um, you know, in your back pocket, you still have something ready to go. So when and if the time comes, you've got something that's deployable. And that came up um, with the pandemic. It's like a lot of the stuff that happened around the pandemic was also kind of just, hey, that's probably a really low likelihood, but there was still a policy and plan available. And we were able to pull that up and revise it rather than creating something from scratch and like re like writing everything. So having these programs in your toolkit, I think are still important. And that's what we do as EHS. We still make sure that we're making sure that we have things ready for when the time comes, even if people don't necessarily believe it. And that is the key, I think, for us. So one of the one of the challenges you had mentioned, uh, Sam, was communication. 
And um, in thinking about holistically about communication, because of course there's all different kinds of elements to communication, where did that present itself as a challenge in your current role at Netflix? Um, and and what did you do to kind of circumvent that challenge? Because that's an ongoing challenge for all of us, regardless of what kind of role we're in. So what are, what are some takeaways um, as you're as you're working toward ensuring that communication is occurring throughout all levels of the organization? I think communication shows up in, in big ways in in all of my roles, not necessarily just at Netflix. I think part of of the challenge with safety is that there's a lot to consider. We're all very passionate about what we do and relaying this information to others in the organization can be a little difficult if we don't fine tune our language and make it concise uh, for others to understand. So I feel like there's a lot of verbosity, just a lot of um, explanation about things and we can really as EHS professionals um, make it more concise and make it easy. Uh, make it easy for people to understand what they actually need to do rather than just handing, you know, a set of regulations or, you know, a 20 page playbook to say, hey, this is what you got to do. It's like, how can we distill this? How can we say this is what you need to do? Here's just a list of things. And here's the playbook for more an additional context. And I think that's the way that's been most beneficial for me. I think the people who are executing on the work appreciate the more direct nature of providing them um, information that is already just distilled and concise for them to execute on rather than providing these long um, explanations about why, if they are curious, though, there is the information available. So I think that's one thing that comes up in communication um, a lot within the profession. And again, just throughout my career is just uh, making sure that we're delivering information in a concise way. And I think there are other things that go along with communication, like in my current role, that is more about just keeping people updated and apprised about what we're doing with our programs, where the programs are at, um, and moving those along as well and keeping everyone informed. I think that's a huge benefit. But again, in, in a way that's concise and easy to understand, bullets, super helpful, you know, mm -hmm. break it out instead of just these long emails and thick summaries uh, to get through. I think that's where we start to lose people, but it's easy to get caught up in it. And I think that that's one way that I found a lot of success is being able to take the information and distill it down into something really concise and getting it across to other people. And that's been effective for all realms of the organization, upper management, um, people who are executing on the work, everywhere. One of the principles that Carnegie talked about was talk in terms of the other person's interest. And how much do you find when you communicate to folks, Sim, that if you can talk in terms of things that are interesting to them and of their, what's important to them and connect what you've got to say, how do you do something like that? That's a great question. So for me, what I find is most effective is connecting with the people who are actually doing the work. So mm -hmm. I think a good example of this uh, that came up in my career was around universal waste. And we had a storage area and the bulbs were, you know, not in the greatest setup. And if you walked into the room, you'd be like, what is going on here? We sent you the list. We told you you have everything that you need. And it would be easy to just like write them up and be like, this is a problem. 
But as we, you know, I, I just asked questions of the individuals who are actually putting the bulbs away in the boxes and was like, hey, like, what's going on here? You know, obviously all the signage is up, all, you know, you guys know what to do. I made it really crystal clear. And then we found that, you know, there were just not enough of the right size bins. Um, they were stored in a way that made it difficult to access. They weren't in the right part of the building. So they would have to like truck it from one part to another part. And these were presented as barriers. And so part of it is just making it easy for the individuals. And when you really talk to them and you find out what's going on, um, then you can come up with solutions that are actually more effective for them so that they can uh, execute on their requirements that you're providing to them rather than just, again, forcing them to do something. Well, and that really goes along with the principle that you didn't even realize, but ask questions instead of giving direct orders. Mm -hmm. And when you find, when you do that, Sim, uh, and this will be just a great reminder for everybody that's listening to this, what does it do for that person when you ask questions to them? I think it helps them feel comfortable. It makes them you know, aware that you're not here to just dictate to them and overlord and just tell them what to do because you know, you came from you know, the corporate office. You're just, you're, you're working you're there with to help. To yes, you're there to help. Yeah, actually to help and not to <laughs> say like, okay, yeah, this is what we do. This is my, this, this is part of what we do, but demonstrating that to them and, and helping them arrive to the, the solutions as well. You really are. It sounds like you're showing respect to those people because you say, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your perspective. And so for you as the safety professional, Sim, when you ask the questions and they're talking to you, why is that such a benefit to you personally? I think it does allow for connection. It, it creates more bonds with our teams. I think personally, I feel fulfilled by that. I, I don't feel fulfilled by giving direct orders and telling people what to do if it's ineffective at the end. Uh, to me, that's not a strong program. So I think it benefits everyone. Uh, and I know that sounds pretty selfless, but when it comes to my work, I see a lot about effectiveness and not necessarily what my personal opinions are about a certain matter, but rather about the effectiveness of the the procedures, the protocols, the programs, and seeing that through. And it may not fit exactly what I would have thought originally, but that's okay. I think that, that you know, keeping it flexible, making sure that it's helpful for the people, that's more important than anything else. Yeah, and I completely agree, uh, Sim. As EHS professionals, I think it's really important for us to have a level of engagement in our stakeholders. Our stakeholders should be engaged in the process. Because when we have a deliverable on the other side of that, that has been a collaborative deliverable as opposed to here is what you are expected to do and I've created this for you. One of my mantras is it's not about the I and me of it, it's about the we and us. And that collaboration, that engagement gets us to a we and us and removes the I and me. And safety is always about the we and us of it. And I wonder for both of you, how often have you seen times where the corporate people rolled out ideas that seemed brilliant mm -hmm. in the office area, mm -hmm. but then there was the pushback from people out on the floor or who were really doing the work who said, they just don't really understand mm -hmm. if only they had asked us. Absolutely. All the time. And that, that leads to kind of the dissension and also the disconnect on why you might have a great program but that program is not actually executed and it just sits on a shelf. And Sim, there's a, a statement we often say in Carnegie, 
in our leadership course, we say people support a world they help to create. So when they feel like they're creating it, all of a sudden, it's a brilliant idea. Absolutely. And to your credit, Sim, you've, you've figured some of that out. They, they definitely are creating it. And I see this come up um, a lot with mo- most recently, like sustainability and a lot of the climate goals and setting those targets and metrics. And they sound great. Uh, and then talking to the people who have to execute on reducing the energy consumption and all of that and calculating the waste streams and how do we even separate this out? It's extremely complex. And so I think that's where you see a lot of, here you go, go do this, reduce it by 20% without really understanding what that actually means in an operational term. And that's when you get a lot of like, oh, hey, does this actually make sense? What are we doing here with this? Um, And I think that's where we need to talk to the people who actually know what they're doing and respecting where they're at. Because there's a lot in that. There's a lot in what they know, and we can benefit from learning more about it. Right. And I think that leads us to one of your other challenges where you had said, um, Sam, being relatable, right? Mm. And that parlays into being relatable because you can have a conversation, but if you're not relatable, you're not really getting into the weeds and the depths and the root cause of what's happening to create this collaborative solution. So it starts with a relatable conversation. What are some things that you do to create the relatability within your organization? And as you mentioned before, it sometimes is different based on the generations. So talk a little bit about what, you, what you've seen success from your side on being relatable. In terms of being relatable and getting out there and talking to people and just showing up in a way that is authentically you is huge. I know that um, when I first started off my career, I, I walk into a room and they're like, oh, you know, the auditor's here. And you <laughs> kind of had this, this facade, like you had this facade that I, I look like an auditor. I probably still do. But I try to a little more and make them very comfortable. But it was something that I found interesting because it wasn't feedback I had ever gotten before. And, and when I learned that, I'm like, oh man, that must be so scary. You know, you, you hear, you know, someone's coming in from, from corporate and you look like an auditor, you're dressed like an auditor. Um, and you're not really like softening up, but man, I had such great mentors and, and great leaders who really coached me and helped me um, arrive at that more relatability part. And just talking to people, understanding where they're at, asking questions about you know, their lives, even outside of work, that was a big one for me. I'm originally from New York, so it's very direct, very much, you know, <laughs> like to the point, you're not asking questions, you pick up the phone, hey, I need this, cool, okay, hang up the phone, and then you move on. Um, But we had teams um, out in different parts of the country, and that did not fly. That was like, she just only calls when she needs something, we don't Uh understand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, geez, that, I mean, okay, yeah, but why would I call you otherwise? Mm -hmm. And that was like, oh, hey, that's not, that's not how you really able to build relationships and those are important at work too. And that relatability part, I think comes into play a lot when not just with our coworkers and building that cohesion with the team, but also when you're out there talking to people who are, you know, boots on the ground, turn the wrenches, doing whatever their day-to-day activities are and getting to know them and what they're up to. And that at the end of the day, we're all kind of out there doing our job, but also that there's a whole nother side of us as people that that we do too. So 
you know, most people probably wouldn't think like safety professionals are maybe out there doing fun stuff. Like they live these really safe lives, but we do fun things. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I surf, I, I go, I, I bike nice. and all of that. So it's helpful to let people know too, that you're not just like, you know, trying to keep everyone restricted, but it's just trying to incorporate a sense of responsibility and also an awareness of the possibilities of what could go wrong. And with all these other tasks that everyone is more used to doing or doing in a certain way, um, that could mean something different um, when you're in a workplace and within that given environment. I think in terms of like having that relatability aspect, being able to talk about yourself and your interests with others, I think is huge. And instilling that ease within others is helpful because you're not there to get them into trouble, which is part of the perception of EHS professionals. It's more about helping understand where they're at and like how we can make this better, but not to get them in trouble, like a more progressive and performative stance than just a strong like regulatory approach. And I would say that that also helps the trust level that they would have for you as a safety professional when you take the initiative to go talk to them and learn about them, you be a good, you're a good listener, you, you ask questions, you listen, but then they learn that you are not just the highway patrolman who's writing out tickets for everybody. You're there because you're trying to build that rapport. How have you seen trust in you and what you're standing for and what you're representing? How have you seen that build, Sim, because you took the time to take the initiative to talk to people? Oh, easy. I mean, that comes like from initially when you first start, maybe a new role, uh, maybe EHS is still a little new for an organization. You're going to them, you're engaging them a lot. And then over time, they start coming to you and then they start asking you questions and they want your input and they start um, engaging with you more. And I think that that's a huge huge win is when they're asking for your input and they're asking you questions and wanting more EHS and more attention from from the team. I think that's true sign. Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, it brings up another question I have about that. Because I'm always, I I think we have a lot of up-and-coming newer graduates that listen to this podcast. How much of a transition was it from being educated and sitting in courses and now all of a sudden having to work with and talk to people having gotten all this knowledge and information being in a university how do you how do you transition to that sim well it's it's definitely it, it takes i think great great managers and great leaders to help guide um, the younger cohort and that's what i had and i knew a lot of stuff by the book i'm like well it says this well okay but in order to do this we need to do this and engaging and a lot of that people-oriented stance comes again just from being coached by great managers and respecting the managers and knowing your leaders and i think that's been a huge part of it because it takes two to tango you know it's not just you listening to the manager the manager's hearing you complain it's all you know it's a two-way street and you may not always agree with what your manager or leaders are saying but you like the moniker at work is disagree then commit and I think that's what makes a really strong team is though, even though you don't necessarily understand why or the vision, mm. you can commit to this and say, let's execute on it. Like I, you know, voiced why I'm confused or why I don't necessarily agree, but just committing to that and, and providing that strong 
um, support to, to that ideas can lead you to areas that I think you may not have known existed before. So I think that's something that's really important for me throughout my career was respecting um, my leaders and my managers and understanding that, you know, I, I'm trusting them also and their, their visions. How long did it take you once you got out of school into work to hit the wall that said, oh, everything the textbook said might not be exactly like it is? <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> pretty quick. I think, yeah, I think that's one of the things within school that they don't really quite emphasize on is like the, the people component. And mm-hmm. it's the same, I think it's the same in a lot of disciplines. I mean, pharmacy, you can take it to medical school, bedside manner, all of that stuff is incorporated in the same way. It's like, hey, even though you just like learn this at school, what is the practical application mm. of this in, in the real world? And that is a moving target. And it just takes this very flexible and adaptable mind and skill set to be able to execute on these things, even though it may not be exactly by the textbook definition of it. And Sim, by the way, that's why BCSP and Dale Carnegie are trying to work together Mm -hmm. to go to different universities, especially that have safety majors, and say, let us help your folks be ready when they get into the field with all that practical knowledge, but to couple it with the ability to interact and influence people. And so that that's really the goal that the two of our organizations are working toward. Just to add to that, I think sometimes the perception is that you have to have a title in order to have that authority or to be able to speak to some of the things that would be effective for people out in the field, but you don't have to have a title. And I think title chasing is something that comes up a lot and everyone wants to be a manager, but I think those are just side effects of doing a great job. And like that just comes as, again, just that side effect of doing what you need to do for the people. That's our number one priority and everything else will come after. Uh, so I think that's something that I, I, I definitely take to heart. Like that's not the most important thing and we should be focused on actually making effective programs for people. So glad you said that, because that is really, really important. Uh, Merle and I were having a conversation yesterday about and and uh, about the demographics of 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 BCSP and the 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 people who have CSPs and other designations and how they we are more seasoned leaders. You've mentioned a couple of times, Sim, about your. Uh, good mentors and managers that you've had that have really been instrumental in your success. For the listeners who are seasoned leaders, what is some of the constructive feedback that you could lend to them to help them further their journey of young EHS professionals that work on their team? How can you help us get out of our own way so that you guys can be successful in your career? What are some really specific things that that would help them, you know, help you be successful that you were able to get to this point? Because you're still very early in your career, but you've been able to get to this point by people who understood the assignment, the managers who understood the assignment. So those that may struggle with the assignment a little bit, what's some feedback? One of the things that I found most helpful from the managers who've had a large impact um, on me is the time and the amount of time that they carved out 
to supporting me and helping me um, out in the field too. And that was something that I know comes up a lot is that, you know, the younger cohort doesn't really want to get out in the field much. They just want to stay in the office, you know, type at a computer and that's about it. Uh, but my managers always came with me out in the field mm. and they really, they were like, all right, let's go here. Let's go to this office. Let's go see this place. And that was helpful because uh, I got their insight as well. And it also kind of forced you to go. Like mm-hmm. when you go to a big, you know, when you are coming out of maybe a more office-based environment and then you're going to a factory, a warehouse, um, any sort of operational space can be a little intimidating. You're like, where do you even start? Well, who am I supposed to talk to? Where do you go? And even if you do show up there on your own, you may not be engaging with the people that, you know, your managers who have a little bit more of a connection or a relationship with and can guide you along the way. Like my, my first job, um, my manager, she was awesome. And she, in addition to carving out time to going out in the field with us, she also supported us with other, like, like we had a little book club that we would do and like an internal Toastmasters and we would deliver presentations to one another off the cuff. And we would, uh, we read like Stephen Covey's and we would go through these different books every you know quarter and it was so beneficial. And sometimes in like a business world, it's like, why are we investing time um, in this sort of activity? You know, we have so many things that we need to get done, but investing that time within your resources and your team actually ends up creating more effective and productive individuals. And they also feel really engaged and supported and cared for. I think that that's been huge. So it sounds like you really benefit from these people who took the time to invest in you. As we kind of wrap things up, if you could give one piece of advice to those who are up and coming that who are getting who have gotten into the safety profession to help other people what piece of advice do you wish you had been given let's even look at it like that what do you wish somebody had told you before you ever start i can i can answer it from what i just said in terms of uh, getting out there and being in the field with the people. I think that was something that I didn't think about in school. Again, really textbook heavy stuff, but um, a strong component of what makes a program successful is getting out there and seeing what actually happens. And I I do see a, a lot of tendency to just not wanting to go out in the field and doing those audits, doing those inspections, meeting with the teams, conducting the trainings, um, and spending time with the teams who are executing on these programs, I think that's that's huge. And that I would definitely tell the younger you know generations of people still in school is make sure you're connecting with everybody and make sure everyone is seen as well, because there's a lot to learn. Coming out of education, you're like, well, this is what it says. I went to school for this. A little bit of arrogance in there as well, because actually practically how does that get executed and learning and understanding and working with the people Uh, to make the programs better and more effective is, I think, the most important thing I would relay to up-and-comers. And And let's just be clear. Was that nerve-wracking for you at first? Was that cause a bit of fear? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I I remember (laughs) remember talking to the first person, and I had to get a whole bunch of data from him, and I remember just two cubicles away, just like sweating, like, oh God, I have to go over it. And it's now a good time. I think he just hung up the phone really angrily. Maybe now isn't the right time. Just talking myself out of it, but eventually doing it. And then I'm like, oh, that was easy. Here was somebody who was fearful and faced it 
and found out it's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So, Sim, thank you so much for giving your time and and uh, committing your your willingness because you've lived the life and you're living it right now, and it's a good example for others and encouragement to so many others. Thank you, Sim. This is really, really, really insightful for everyone. Awesome. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Tiffany, what, what we saw there was genuineness. And she was just talking real from her life experience and made it real. What stood out to you? Oh, absolutely. I think that the nice thing is she has learned early in her career what makes an EHS professional successful. A lot of us had to trip and fall and stumble through that before we kind of really understood and got it. And she's learned this really early in her career and it speaks to the kinds of individuals that came in and managed her. And that's all like our own individual responsibility to make sure that we are doing the right thing in managing and mentoring individuals. So kudos to her. And one of the real takeaways that she learned, it's not just the programs, it's the people. And connecting with the people, listening to the people, taking care of the people, guiding the people, mm-hmm. she really learned to put that at top priority. Oh, absolutely. And that's what it's about. It's about the humanity of it. Mm-hmm. And and once you understand that, you're going to have a greater level of success as opposed to this tactical approach of, okay, I have to write this program. Okay, I have to execute this training. Um, when you understand it's the humanity of it and work together toward that, you're going you're gonna to achieve whatever you're trying to, to, to be successful in. Thanks for listening to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast produced in partnership by Dale Carnegie and BCSP with your hosts, Dale Carnegie Master Trainer Merle Heckman and Tiffany Felix, Senior Vice President of Global Environmental Health and Safety for Paramount Global. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham. Supervising producer, Michael Escobedo. Audio engineering and editing from Michael Escobedo and Giachi Liu. Editorial support from Tyson Matthews. Consulting producers are Colin Brown and Mark Sullivan. To have new episodes delivered directly to you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. If you would like to share your story of a safety leadership challenge you faced, email us at info at mybigsafetychallenge.com. See you next time. Hey, listeners, this is Merle Heckman, host of My Big Safety Challenge podcast. I imagine that if you're listening to this podcast, then you have some sort of safety responsibility in your job. Maybe you're a seasoned safety pro leading EHS programs, or maybe you're an HR and safety is one of the many responsibilities you have, no matter what your situation is. You are looking for ways to be a better leader. Well, I'd like to tell you an opportunity that's available from Dale Carnegie and BCSP. We've put together a leadership course just for safety professionals. We've taken the Dale Carnegie course and all its principles and weaved in the whole safety world to help you as a safety professional to have more influence. In the course, you will learn how to properly connect with other people and then build upon that with the ability to have collaboration, creating an atmosphere where people feel like it's safe emotionally to work together. And then 
allow you to learn how to lead and guide people who make mistakes, who want to do well, gives you the chance to know how to guide them with so much more. If you're interested, please click the link in the episode description or visit mybigsafetychallenge.com and look for the BCSP and the Dale Carnegie course link at the bottom of the page. We'd love to see you be a part to benefit your organization.